0: We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, we got an exciting show today.
1: We've got a very exciting show today. Cowboy Legend. We had Sim Drain on last week and we thought, well... Why not go back to that 1988 well and get us another legend? So Hartley Dykes will be joining us here in just about 10 or 15 minutes. Uh, and we're going to talk to Hartley and see how his weekend in Stillwater went. So looking forward to it. Love talking to the Cowboy legends. Uh,
0: Hartley on the show is a big gig. Uh, good job by you. I guess you ran into him at the, at the game on,
1: on Saturday. Actually, it was Friday night at the basketball game. I walked past. Oh, that's the, right. Yeah, I walked past the guy on my way to my seats. And I'm like, that dude is, that dude, that's a big guy. And uh, then they put him up on the jumbotron. I'm like, that's Hartley. He's sitting like four rows behind me. So walked up, introduced myself. Uh, He was awesome. Couldn't have been nicer and seemed like he was enjoying himself in Stillwater. And he was out there uh, Saturday for a lot of that stuff when they were honoring Barry as well. So it was good to see Hartley back in Stillwater and getting some love from the Cowboy faithful.
0: Well, that's fantastic. Great job by you. And I, I can't wait to talk to Hartley about just any and everything his weekend playing with Barry and perhaps maybe he'll be up the Ring of Honor soon, so we'll, we'll talk to him in just a few minutes. But first, Colby, the latest uh, CFP rankings are out. I did not watch the show because I fully expected uh, OSU to not move up a whole lot. That's what happened. A lot of the same teams are still in front of them. What was kind of your, your takeaway from, from Tuesday night?
1: Yeah, I mean, for starters, I mean, number one, I don't ever watch the show. It's garbage, and the editor who let it go on the air is garbage. Um, it, it's made for TV. It really – when he sat up there, because I did see on Twitter that the guy who runs it, whatever, the guy who goes on TV and, and explains what they're supposedly thinking, said he actually said that if you remove the head for head, head to head with Michigan and Michigan State, that Michigan is better in all of the statistical categories. And I'm like, these two resumes are almost indistinguishable. The one big difference is that they actually played each other, and one team beat the other, and that team's ranked behind the other one. Both with one loss. Makes no sense to me. Uh, The Notre Dame thing is pure helmet logo. That's the only thing that it could possibly be is helmet logo. It's the only reason they're ahead of Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State has better opponents in front of them with OU in a Big 12 championship game, so you would think they would be able to leapfrog uh, Notre Dame when the time comes. But, I mean, Oklahoma State at nine is just – It's pretty egregious, but I'm trying not to get too worked up about it because I understand those Big Ten teams all have to play each other. That's going to work itself out. Oklahoma State should hop Notre Dame if they win out. Cincinnati's kind of a wild card. I think Oregon probably loses again. Trying not to get too worked up about it with three weeks left, but it just seems like the logic that they use to come to these rankings is uh, very flawed and extremely inconsistent. How's Ohio State not head of Oregon?
0: Because, I mean, if if head-to-head doesn't matter, which – Right. But Michigan and Michigan State it doesn't. Ohio State's yeah. been far more impressive than Oregon has. So they they're they're contradicting themselves just on on those two teams right there.
1: Yeah, they are. It, it's if you're going to use head-to-head for Oregon over Ohio State because that's the only possible reason, you could have Oregon over Ohio State as the head-to-head, why doesn't that apply to Michigan Michigan State? I I can't answer that question. Maybe it's road versus home, I don't know. Um but that's another just inconsistency and a logical flaw in their rankings. Now Again, that'll work itself out. But, I mean, does it – should it have to work itself out? Is it not okay to get it right after week 10? Like, is it not okay to have a, a list after week 10 that we're all like, yep, they got that right. Same thing after week 11 and 12 and after the conference title games. I guess, we, I guess that's too much to ask for. I think every year they get it wrong every week until the end, and then most years I think the top four are, are correct. Uh, so, hopefully, that's the case this year.
0: Imagine if any other team in that top 10 10- – was playing defense at the level of Oklahoma State, they would be lauded by Joey Galloway. They would be lauded by Kirk Herbstreet. They would be losing their minds at how great this defense is. But it's Oklahoma State, and the talking points: Ah, oh, they're they're playing good defense, and they're they're running the ball, and they're they're winning. And cool, that's pretty much the narrative coming out of out of Bristol on this show. And that that just blows me away, and it just further proves the helmet logo metric if Ohio State was playing this level of defense, they would be number two with, I mean, it's just, it's, it's asinine, but there are no reasons to be concerned because if, as long as OSU wins out, I think they're going to be in good shape because Adam McClintock, who is at CFB professor on Twitter, he's kind of developed the model for the college football playoff and his, his model is extremely accurate and he's pretty high on OSU. He, he, he puts them at he, he goes through all the rankings that were released and he, he goes to OSU at number nine. He says their, their strength of schedule is 43. They have three quality wins. They have one top 25 win. their game control metric is 15.8, which is, which is better than a lot of the teams in front of them. He says the go pokes modeled at eight. So this is right where they land. According to the process that's been in place for eight years, if they continue to win, they'll continue to rise. Strength of schedule is good. Game control is fair and they have multiple quality wins. Good shape. So he thinks they're in good shape. And I do too. So that that that's why I'm not getting too worked up about it because the Big Ten's going to cannibalize themselves. And if OSU wins out and wins a Big Twelve title over either Baylor or Oklahoma, I think they're in. Now, whether they're going to be four, three, two, that a lot, a lot to be determined there. But I
1: think they're going to be okay. Yeah, and you wouldn't want to be four because four is light. It's either going to be Georgia or Alabama. So you don't want to be four. Of course, if it's Alabama at one, then that means they beat Georgia in the SEC title game, which means Georgia's probably two or three. It's going to be a mess with Alabama and Georgia. Uh, By the way, you mentioned Joey Galloway. I actually saw a clip of him today making the argument that if Alabama loses to Georgia in the SEC championship, but plays them close, that that should cement Alabama's spot in the college football playoff. And I just, I can't get enough of how stupid Joey Galloway is. It is an endless well of entertainment but it's also a little bit frustrating because these guys are on espn they're shaping narratives all those things now to the credit of the guys that were on the set with him they both immediately shut that down and were like no i disagree i I don't see it that way so that was just jojo going rogue jojo um i do think oklahoma state will be fine if they win out now what's a better win in the big 12 championship game assuming oklahoma state gets to the big 12 championship game because that is not set in stone there are two Two more football games that have to be played. But assuming Oklahoma State gets to the Big 12 championship game and assuming Oklahoma State wins the next two weeks, what would be a better win on December 4th? Would it be winning a second week in a row against a two loss at that point Oklahoma team, uh, assuming they beat Iowa State? Or would it be another win against a two-loss Baylor team that would likely at that point be ranked higher in the standings than Oklahoma, but they wouldn't have the same helmet logo attraction that Oklahoma has? Which of, which of those do you think would be a better win in the eyes of the committee?
0: No, it's a good question. I mean, my, my first instinct is to just scream Oklahoma because of the helmet logo, and they would, be, they would still have one loss going into Bedlam. You win that game, they would have two losses. You give them a third loss you'd also give Baylor a third loss. I, I think it has to be Oklahoma just because of the respect that, that's there. But people nationwide are pretty down on OU the way they've played all year. and you know, Obviously, their most recent loss. Baylor is ahead of Oklahoma currently in the standings by a spot. But I, I think it has to
1: be Oklahoma, even though I, 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 I'm tempted to say Baylor. What do you think? I Boy, that's tough. Because if you beat Oklahoma and Bedlam in two weeks, then that's going to knock them down even a little bit further. Assuming Baylor wins the last two weeks, I mean, helmet logo favors heavily toward Oklahoma, but if they're fading that much, I mean, we're looking at an OU team right now that's nine and one, and they could easily, easily be six and four. This is just, it, it's the most flawed OU team that we've seen in a long time. And for three weeks against the worst defenses in the conference, Caleb Williams was being talked about as winning the Heisman, only playing half a season. And now we're, we're people are talking about, you know, don't even know who the quarterback is down there. There's all these stupid LSU rumors that I don't give any, any, cadence to it all um but i am i would lean baylor i think because i think baylor right now this baylor team after what we just saw four days ago in waco i think they're more respected than oklahoma is just this season so i I think i would lean baylor assuming they don't lose between now and then
0: Uh, the multiple losses back-to-back weeks would just send them way further down than what than what baylor would be after perhaps losing to osu so you're you might be right um speaking of joey galli real quick Remember when he picked Baylor to win the Big 12 and they didn't win a single game in the conference? They won like Not only did they not the win a year. game,
1: they lost to I believe it was UTSA and Liberty, is that right? Yeah, I think they won one game that year. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Shout out to I, Joey Galloway, man. Shows a, you like
0: the prayer. guy doesn't the guy doesn't do his research. He doesn't do his job. He just shows up and talks. It's 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 clear as day. That there's no other example you need than that. It's clear he just shows up and talks. I think Herb Street obviously does his research. I think Jesse Palmer actually does his research too, but JoJo's a big liability. All right, we're, we're going to get to our guests here pretty quick, but first, you want to hear my dream scenario for the playoff, Colby? Yeah, hit me. Dream scenario. Georgia one, Oklahoma State, two. Oh. Cincinnati, three. Notre Dame, four. Oh. You're probably thinking, how did we get to that? Well, I, Oregon yeah, loses. That's exactly what I'm thinking. Oregon loses. Bama gets housed by Georgia by three or four touchdowns. Big 10 eats itself alive in mediocrity, culminating with Ohio State losing to Wisconsin in the Big 10 title game. We get, we get Cincinnati, as Oklahoma State does. Perennially overrated Notre Dame could be number three instead of Cincinnati, considering they don't care about head-to-head. Either way, you get Cincy or Notre Dame. Then Oklahoma State gets a shot at Stetson Bennett fourth at quarterback and the best defense I've seen in the past decade. But to me, that's a dream scenario.
1: Does that do anything for you? That's beyond a dream scenario. That's Oklahoma State and Cincinnati in the first round of the college football playoff is what dreams are made of. I think Oklahoma State would match up incredibly well with Cincinnati. Uh, look, I think Georgia is just an absolute monster this year. The the bits and pieces of their games I've been able to watch, they are just so physically dominant. You just stack those recruiting classes on top of each other, and that stuff matters when they're recruiting in the top three, and they've had some number one classes over the last several years. I mean, they've got guys on the defensive line that are just mountains of human beings. You can't move these guys, and they're athletic. They're quick. They're fast. They're they're fundamentally sound. I Georgia is a, a monster this year. Uh, I love that scenario, though. That would be another situation in which Notre Dame gets absolutely embarrassed in the playoff, which I'm tired of watching Notre Dame get embarrassed in the playoff, but whatever, I get it. They're Notre Dame. They're going to get in just because they're Notre Dame and they don't play anybody and they're not in a conference. Um, So I would like to see Georgia get housed, or I would like to see Notre Dame get housed by Georgia, and I would love to see that Oklahoma State-Cincinnati matchup because I think Oklahoma State is the better of those two teams. Uh, That's a dream scenario. That's a scenario where I could realistically see Oklahoma State not only getting to the playoff but winning a game. So if you're talking what's, what's the dream Yeah, I think that's probably the dream, because I think the more likely scenario, if Oklahoma State does get in, now let's talk realism, if Oklahoma State does get in, I think more than likely they get in at four, and have to play either Georgia or Alabama in the first round, and Georgia and Alabama have some athletes across the board that Oklahoma State might not be real familiar with, so I don't know that I totally love those matchups, but hey, I'll take a playoff appearance, and once you get on the field, you never know, these games aren't played on paper. I mean, you can't, you can't complain about getting housed by Georgia in the national championship game, can you? I mean, you got to the big dance. Yeah, shoot, no. I mean, even, I mean, even just getting to the playoff for a school like Oklahoma State would be a major accomplishment. It really would, and I, I know some people are going to misinterpret that and say, oh, you're just okay with them going and losing in the playoff. It's not what I said. I'm just saying getting to the playoff is a huge accomplishment whenever it's only a 14 playoff for all of college football. That's, that's a big deal.
0: Uh, yeah, it's massive, especially considering it's its amazing. We're even discussing this, Colby, after the first two games of the year. And, you know, I thought Matt a million, friend of the pod, been on the pod a few times, had a great tweet. He said, I'm just paraphrasing. I have it pulled up. But he said, you know, after two games, I was way, way, way down on this team. Now they're his favorite team since the 2011 team to watch. I thought that really encapsulated kind of the, the journey this season has been. I mean, the first two games, I was ready to move on from my Gundy. <laughs> A pretty freezing cold take right there from myself. And I'll, I'll own that. Um, I just didn't think that the program was headed in the right direction and they've totally flipped the script to where this team is, is has become as dominant the last six weeks as that 2011 team. I mean, Ever since Mike Gundy basically said we're going to be in a four-quarter game with Kansas, they've been 2011 dominant. And we we predicted this coming on the offensive side, playing some of the worst defenses. They still have some of the worst defenses left on the schedule. I think the best defense they'll play is Oklahoma, and they're sixth in the Big 12. So, man, Colby, it just – I think I agree with that. This has been kind of the most fun season – since 2011 for me i mean 2013 was great they had a chance to win the big 12 title should have in that bedlam game we all know that um but that that season was 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 pretty much a roller coaster too with all the quarterback changes that started the year between shelf and walsh and back and forth but it's pretty it's
1: pretty amazing colby
0: to watch this team this year and just even to even utter them in the same sentence as 2011
1: yeah probably is the most fun season since 2011 and it's because you look at it and it's funny how the most fun seasons are the ones where you're good on both sides of the ball. You know, the first few weeks of the season, injuries, things were not good offensively. We were incredibly down on the offense with good reason. The offense has really stepped its game up over the last month of the season, and it's just complemented what is, in my mind, clearly the second best defense in the country. Maybe, maybe Wisconsin, you could maybe go there, um, but man... Oklahoma State is just so, so good on that side of the ball. In 2011, Oklahoma State had the absolute best offense in the country with a really good complementary defense that was forcing almost four turnovers a game. And this year, Oklahoma State has the elite defense, and the offense is complementary. It's complementary football. The offense holds on to the ball. They run the ball. They beat the other team up physically. And it, it really is complementary football. And I don't think that that gets enough credit. I don't know if you saw today, the Doak Walker semifinalist award came out. And Jalen Warren's not on it. Brees Hall's on it. Jalen Warren's not on it. I, I was, um, I don't know if I should say shocked because at this point, Oklahoma State and um, it's, its athletes not getting the respect that they deserve nationally is, is fairly commonplace. But to see Brees Hall on that list and not see Jalen Warren on it, I was pretty surprised because I think Warren's the better back and has had the better season of the two. I think it just
0: illustrates people aren't watching Oklahoma state football nationally. It goes back to the helmet logo. I mean, they just look at the national rushing stats and Warren's down there. What did I say? He was last pod, like 16th, somewhere around there. He's got a thousand yards, 10 rushing touchdowns. But if you just watch the games, he is the lifeblood of the offense. He is the reason they, this, this team has one loss this year. I mean, more than any player on the entire team, I would say, If you want to put the weight of one player on the entire team for this team having one loss, I think it's Jalen Warren. When you go back to how poorly they ran the football to start the year, he didn't do it by himself. Obviously the offensive lines played well. Spencer Sanders has really played well the last few weeks. And we all know what the defense has done as a whole. But if you're just talking about MVP of the team, it's Jalen Warren. And this is a team that has every bit, every chance in the world to make it to a college football playoff. So just, just for me, that's that's why we are where we are with with the individual awards. And I, I hope that I hope the same doesn't happen for Malcolm Rodriguez. And you know, he's a bucket semifinalist. And I, I just hope that doesn't happen to, to Malcolm Rodriguez, because Jim Knowles is also on the on the finalist list or the semifinalist list for the Broyles Award given the nation's top assistant. So a lot of the teams getting the credit they deserve. But I, I
1: did see that. and That, that was thoroughly disappointing. Yeah, I thought so too. And like you mentioned with, with Malcolm Rodriguez, I hope the same thing for Jim Knowles with the Broyles award. Uh, I mean that, that got posted the other day, a really good chance it goes to the defensive coordinator at Georgia and I could totally understand it going to him. That is a historically good defense. That's a historically good defense with all of the best athletes in the country at a school that has been very good on that side of the ball that has been elite on that side of the ball. It, uh, it's a lot tougher for Jim Knowles to turn heads. and I, I still think that not enough people have really taken note and recognized what Oklahoma State is doing. I mean, when two weeks ago we've got Kirk Herbstreet on ESPN saying that they're the ninth-best defense in the country because that's where they rank in scoring. I mean, come on. That's, that's a joke. Last week against TCU, that should have been 63-3. to three. I mean, TCU scored seven points uh, on the second, and third stringers when they came in, and then they get seven on a scoop and score on some miscommunication between Ethan Bullock uh, and I believe it was Dominic Richardson. It, it's just this defense is so much better than they get credit for, and so is Jim Knowles. So I hope that he gets a serious look for that Broyles Award because uh, obviously might have a little bias, but I think he deserves it. Absolutely, and I think I think he's getting the proper amount of credit,
0: and I think he's going to get a proper amount of a, a raise <laughs> this this off season, That's for sure the job he's done um, while we're talking about the defense Colby uh, I thought Caden McFarlane had a really good tweet about just the overall age of the defense and this is something that I hadn't really thought of when you think about all like the super seniors they have due to COVID due to red shirts and they have a bunch of grown ass men on this defense for Oklahoma State I mean it, you just go down the line I mean Malcolm Rodriguez is a super senior uh, here, here's the tweet from Caden McFarlane, friend of the show, uh, notable offensive, defensive players age 21 and up Rodriguez is 22. Devin Harper, Colby Harvell Peel, Bernard Converse, Jason Taylor, the second and, uh, and Brock Martin, or sorry, those Devin Harper, Colby Harvell Peel, Bernard Converse, Jason Taylor, the second are 23. Brock Martin's 22. McAllister's 22. Lacey's 22. Christian Holmes is 24, Antoine's 24, Harper's 24, Evers is 23, Sterling's 23. Those are ages of NFL players, and that's what they got on the defense. And it's, it's kind of a unique situation with the COVID rule and, and all that stuff, Colby. But I don't think that's nothing when you have that much experience on a defense.
1: No, it's not nothing. I think it's a big time something. It's so much... Uh, Easier, I would imagine, for Jim Knowles to get 21, 4-year-olds in the right place and get them to do what's right. I mean, it's a lot easier to do that than it is with 18 and 19-year-olds. 18 and 19-year-olds come in, they're green, they're raw, they are are learning coverages at that high of a level, they're learning um, defensive concepts at that high of a level. These guys have been there and done that. Like you said, these are adults. These are grown men. Um, these are guys, I mean, all these guys are 24. Lamar Jackson's 24. That's, that's the, the reference point there. So, uh, Carson, give me just one second here. Hartley's calling me, so I think there might have been some confusion. Let me, let me take this. I'll hop right back on. All right, we've got him all with us now, joining us on the Pistols Firing Podcast, one of the all-time Oklahoma State legends, Hartley Dykes. Hartley, we appreciate, taking, appreciate you taking some time. How are you doing
2: tonight? I'm doing great. And uh, it's an honor to be on here, man, and uh, look forward to talking about Cowboy football.
1: Yeah, man, it was, uh, this last weekend was unbelievable. You and I met Friday night at Gallagher Ibis. So you were in town for the whole weekend. Just take us kind of through your weekend. Uh, what all did you do and how special was it to be a part well, of what was a pretty cool weekend in Stillwater?
2: Well, it was a great weekend. I, I had the opportunity to come in Friday and uh, I've kind of developed a relationship with Coach B and uh I told him I would be in town on Friday and I wanted to come and check him out and and watch the game. And of course my wife loves Stillwater. Uh, so we made a trip out of it. We arrived there Friday, uh, got in town, went over to Joe's, of course, got something to eat. And, uh, coach B called. I ended up going to the game and I ended up running in the, up. I didn't even realize they were having the, the, uh, the reception for Barry the previous night up in the Ocali room. I went in there and, uh, it was just a great weekend, man. I was able to see Barry, Coach Jones, and meet a lot of great people that really bleed orange, and they bleed orange heavy. And uh I just enjoyed the moment. And uh then Saturday, you know, was the unveiling of the statue. And, and the coincidental thing about it is my wife, like I said, she loves the whole aura of Cowboy football, game day leading up to the game. And she had a – I, I, I told her I was going to tell this story. She had a uh, a poster of Barry and she wanted to get it autographed for a friend of hers. And so we were running around trying to find Barry. And sure enough, I found him over in the union and uh, he signed the autograph on the poster. Well, lo and behold, I was going to talk to Coach Gundy. And uh, when Mike walks out, he tells me, hey, man, come on and get in the walk with me and walk, you know, go on the walk and we can talk or whatever. And, and normally when I'm in town, I usually go to the union and I, I meet up with Mike and I walk into the stadium with him and we kind of catch up. That's what we've been doing, you know, the last couple of years when I, I came to town. And lo and behold, my wife had this huge poster and she didn't want to get in the walk. So I began walking with Mike and, and we got near the stadium and I realized, I said, man, my wife's gonna get lost in this crowd. So I went back to try to find her Long story short, that's why I wasn't on the, on the uh, platform when, when, you know, they unveiled a statue because I kind of got lost in the crowd. But it was a great weekend, man. Yeah,
0: it sure sounds like it. But I want to talk more about Barry and, and the statue and, and everything that happened on Saturday. But first, you, you said you've developed a relationship with Coach Boynton. Tell me about how that came about and just what your relationship's like <laughs> with him.
2: You know, I was, I was in town and, uh, at the Baylor game. And I was up in the suites, and of course, it was during the halftime. I think I was walking around talking to people, and uh, I saw Justin Blackman. and I hadn't seen Justin in years. And we began talking. And we're talking in the, in the, in the uh, I guess, outside of the suites, whatever you call the club level, I guess. And we were just conversating and catching up. And uh, Coach Boyden walked by, and I we introduced ourselves to him, and and he just began to pour in us and. T- Talked to us about, you know, OSU and how he loved it. And, and, of course, I told him I was watching him from afar last year with Cade. And he did a great job with it. And uh, he gave me his cell phone number, told me if I ever was in town and, you know, needed anything or, you know, just wanted to converse or talk to give him a call. And I used the number and I called him uh, that Monday. I think it was a Monday. When we played, we were, we were, they had a game. And I wasn't even aware of the first, I think it was the first or second game they played uh, last week. And I texted him, not knowing that it was, it was a game that night. I texted him about 6.30. I think the game started at seven. And I said, I'll be in town, you know, and, and lo and behold, he responded to the text about 9.30 that night, which blew my mind. I said, man, this guy's the head coach, you know, and, but he's just so easy to talk to and, uh, we just, and, and once I got in town, you know, we kept going back and forth, back and forth. When would I beat when would I arrive? And uh, he just made me feel really special, man.
1: Yeah, Coach Boynton, his approval rating at Oklahoma State and in Stillwater is just absolutely through the roof. Uh, everybody loves him because he seems like he d- just does everything, the right way so let's go back to Saturday a little bit I mean Mike Gundy Barry Sanders these are your running mates from the 80s at Oklahoma State I mean you guys were the triplets before the triplets you look at that 1988 season what the three of you accomplished uh Barry setting all the records and and you and coach Gundy doing more than your fair share in the passing game what was it like to be back with those guys and just kind of reminisce about that special season
2: well you know the the thing about it it was so interesting is, is, is I told coach Jones I talked to coach Jones this morning on the phone and, I, and I, the, the story I was telling you earlier, how I got lost in the crowd coming in and, and my whole intention of going and, and what I wanted to do was I wanted to, to get a picture with Mike, myself and Barry because the triplets hadn't been together in 30 plus years on the same stage, which I thought would have been an interesting portrait, but it didn't happen. But, uh, when I look back, I still had a, a, a great time. Uh, that ADA season was a, a season that it just seemed like we hit everything on the right. We were just running. And, 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 and uh, the only I guess the only part I, I, I'm really disappointed, we, we didn't get it done by beating Oklahoma. But other than that, the year that Barry had, I look back and I say, man, I mean, I, I didn't really realize what was going on. During that time, and it takes me to, to, to I guess, kind of now to look back and see, you know, that season that he had was a, a season that's never going to probably be duplicated.
0: No, it's it's insane. I mean, Mike Gundy made the point that he could have ran for four thousand yards in today's offenses, and you certainly could have caught more touchdown passes. But
2: well, that, well I, you know, we always the, the inside joke inside of Cowboy football is I always say, man, Barry kept me from winning the Heisman. <laughs> but he had a great year, man. And, and like I say, I was catching, you know, double team, triple team. So it, and I was, you know, look at that as, man, I, I was a part of that because I was taking at least two men out of the box because they were stacking the box on Barry any way they could, but they still had to deal with me outside. So they would bring, you know, sometimes they walked the defensive end out. I had the corner and the safety to deal with. So, we all went hand in hand and Mike was the the, the engineer of it all. And uh, it was just a great season.
0: Yeah. Barry himself said Hartley is a big reason for our success back in, back in 88 for those same reasons you mentioned, you getting double teams and you guys, you guys were ahead of your way ahead of the times Hartley too, because you guys were averaging 48.7 points per game and 530 yards of total offense. That's something that, in today's college football with, with it, widespread spread offenses, that would be number one in the country today. So you guys really were ahead of the times back then. That had to be a lot of fun to play in that offense.
2: Well, it was a lot of fun, but but you got to think we only threw the ball maybe 18. If if on a good day week Mike threw 20 passes, we were really either in trouble because we didn't throw the ball. We with the, the passes that I was able to, to catch in, in the yardage. I always look back and I say, man, I had the opportunity to play with with two Hall of Fame running backs, and still be able to leave Oklahoma State as the all time leading receiver in yardage and touchdowns in the Big Eight history, which I think is a feat, you know, to to it's, to kind of stroke my ego that I played with. I mean, so so in order for those guys to be the players they were, imagine how many how many carries they got, and we were run team first, and that's why I always say, man, if I had the opportunity to play. In today's offense, oh man, the records would be unattainable. <laughs> yeah, I kind of get jealous looking at it.
1: <laughs> I mean, I would imagine you do looking at how I was just—I was watching some highlights earlier. You know, uh, Hartley, I was born in 1992, so I was born four years. Okay. Later. After your collegiate career was over, I was actually, as I was doing some Googling earlier, uh, September 2nd, baby. Shout out, you are as well. So. Uh, oh, you are
2: too? Oh, I'm, happy yeah. birthday. Virgo to Virgin. Way to go, man. Wow, yeah. you're Virgo. Yeah, yep. okay.
1: September 2nd. So, uh, yeah, cool. September 2nd, 1992. But I- I'm looking through here, uh, and I had never done a Hartley Dykes deep dive. You know, I, I've seen your highlights. I, I've heard you know people came before me. My dad was at Oklahoma State whenever you were there, and I've heard how great you were. But today I did a Hartley Dykes deep dive, and I, I mean, you were Calvin Johnson before Calvin Johnson. You were Terrell Owens before Terrell Owens. And this is in a league, and and I watch highlights of you just getting clocked, going across the middle, guys draped all over you. Nowadays receivers are protected you can't hardly touch them i mean you can't touch them it's illegal contact they'll flag you yeah, right so i mean you watch these guys play in this era and you've just got to be thinking man i had it rough and i was still putting in work imagine what i would do these days what what is it like to right. watch modern football knowing the area you played man, in
2: man man i always say you know we watch football every weekend you know and, and i'm like i would kill it today i mean you can't even touch me you might as well make the catch because guess what? If you hit me, it's a penalty. It, it, it's see, it, it's reversed. When I was playing, you that guys were looking for the big shot. Now the big shot brings a penalty, so you you take that all out of the equation of you really taking a big shot because you can't be touched. You know what I mean? If if I if I go up for the pass and I drop it and the guy hits me, it's a what? What's the, what's the penalty? They call it uh, a defensive player. Yep. So 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 you might as well make the catch because you're not going to get hit. I mean, it, it's a game that's changed a lot. And I think it, it, it's for the better because of the injuries. But, man, I mean, it, it just seems like it would be so easy now, man, to just catch the ball and, and not have to worry about the fact, which I never really feared going across the middle because – that's why I made my money, in the middle of the field. And uh, – but now in today's era, man, I mean, it's just like, don't touch me. Yep. You know, I, in, in the days of a guy – because I'm a football enthusiast. I love football. I'm a football player. And I like watching the whole game, not just offense. But, but you guys can probably relate to this. When you see a big hit now in the NFL, back in the day it was like, ooh – now, that big hit, you know it's a flag's coming every time.
0: Every time. yep. Yeah, You're right, so, it's, it's a
2: different game.
0: Uh, tell me this. I mean, we know Barry was obviously an unbelievable player, college football Hall of Famer, pro football Hall of Famer. The numbers were crazy at OSU. But we've never seen a running back run like him. The way he's able to stop, start, cut on a dime. When you were at OSU – in Thurman Thomas was the starter and you see Barry start to to come to the team. Was there a moment early in his career before he was a starter where you were like, what is this guy made of? How in the world is he running like this?
2: You know, I, I never really, I never really saw it. And, and I tell you when I realized that, that Barry was special, Barry took the opening kickoff. I think he was a sophomore or maybe a freshman. I don't know. Let's see if I was a, he may have been a freshman, but he took the oldman kickoff and took it back. And I knew right then that, that he was going to be a special player. And and, and I don't know if this treat's ever been done. You can check your stats. The following year, he did the same thing on the opening kickoff, took it back for a touchdown. Yeah, Two years that, in a row, the opening kickoff, record. he took, he took I, off for a touchdown. I don't think that's ever been kickoff. done. You're right. Yeah, he, and, and the thing about it, I think with Barry, Barry is so unassuming. And, and even in his, his 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 personal life, the way he carries himself. And, and I was telling someone the other day, that guy loves to sleep. And, and he doesn't get excited about nothing. You know, he could be, he goes to sleep on the bus on the ride into the stadium. And he and all of a sudden he just turns into this other guy and he's electrifying. He's he's sliding, he's cutting, he's stopping, he's moving, he's dipping. And, I mean, he's just a special player. He's a special guy, man.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And those were some special teams that you played on. This is a pretty special team this season, Hartley. This is maybe the best team we've seen since 2011, the most complete team. The defense is unbelievable. The offense has really picked it up, got complimentary offense being played now. Uh, What do you think of their chances to get into the playoff and maybe be one of the best teams in the country?
2: Man, I got my fingers crossed. Uh, I'm, I'm really proud of the team. Uh, I think we have what it takes. The, the thing that worries me or the thing that concerns me is is when, when when OU comes to town, and not to get ahead of Texas Tech by no means, we just got to be prepared to and understand that when Oklahoma plays Oklahoma State, they're on their A game. They're not going to play us like they play Tulane or play Baylor. They bring their A game. And so we got to be able to match that. We've got to have our A game in Bedlam and not to get up. Once again, let's not get past Texas Tech, but this team, the defense is is a defense I hadn't seen at OSU in years that that can can go out and contain the offense and keep the game within reach for us if we're in a trailing position or if we get the lead, they can go out and play good defense and sound defense and don't give up the big plays.
0: Yeah, Mike's done an unbelievable job this year as head coach, and he's been the coach so long now at Oklahoma State. Hardly it's, it's people forget how great of a quarterback he was. You know, he led, he set the Big Eight uh, passing record when he when he left OSU. What was it like playing with Mike? We we all look kind of all of us that watch OSU football nowadays. We know him as the head coach and. The figurehead and, and all those things, but what was he like as, as a quarterback? He seemed to have a lot of moxie as a QB. And,
2: and see, that's that, that's the part that I like because I know Mike better than anybody, and 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 I remember when Mike was inserted into the lineup, and, and a lot of people frowned at it, and 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 they questioned was he ready to be the starting quarterback. And I took Mike under my wings, and I said, let's go, and uh, we became friends. He was a uh, he took over the lock initially. There were rufflings about him being inserted, but he withstood he the test. He went out, competed, played hard, and uh, he became the leader. And Mike can blend in anywhere. And it's, it's amazing that now here we are 30 years outside of college, and, and when I see Mike, our relationship is still the same as it was 30 years ago. His demeanor with me is the same guy that was in the locker room. Now, his demeanor with the outside world or the, the as a coach, he of course he 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 he's portrayed different, but he hadn't changed much to me in, in the 30 years that, that I've known him. And I keep saying 30 years and I may be way off, but uh he was the guy and he had some spunk with him. Uh it was so funny. One one time I was going through some old tapes, and Thurman, Thurman got hit in the back of the end zone. We're playing Kansas State, and the guy took a cheap shot at Thurman. And uh, of course I went over to defend Thurman. I threw a couple of jabs and, and I see Mike come in with his feet and he kicks at the guy and we fell out laughing about it. But no, he had, he had, he was a player and he protected his teammates.
1: Yeah, he was incredible. And I would imagine one of these days down the line when he's done coaching that ring of honor in Boom Pickens stadium, we're going to see more and more names go up there. And I would imagine Mike Gundy's is going to be in there when he's done coaching. I would also imagine at some point your name is going to be up there as they've unveiled Thurman last year, Barry this year. Is that something that you have thought about? And if and when that day comes, how special will that be?
2: Man, I tell you what, I I told my wife, it's it's so funny you told me to ask me this question. This morning at about four o'clock in the morning, I was thinking about the the trip that we just had at Stillwater. and, And I told my wife, that would be the cap on my life. For my name to be up in that Ring of Honor, it would mean the world to me, because everything that we've been through, I bled orange. I I I, I hurt when we lose. I cheer when we win. I'm all over the shoe, and that would mean the world to me to be recognized up in that Ring of Honor.
0: Well, I think it's going to happen, Hartley. I mean, I, I
2: really man. Do. I'm praying. I'm praying it does, and I hope the right people believe it because. You know, one of the things I like doing when I come to Stillwater is I, I find the more elderly people and I go up to them and I, I, I reach my hand out and I say, I'm Hartley Dykes. And, and and if I said I reached out to 40 people, everybody was amazed that it was me and they couldn't believe it. And they began to tell me stories about them watching me play. So apparently I did something right, man.
0: You definitely did. And it's so cool that they're, they're starting to do this and, and recognize more former players because you guys really built the program into what it's become today. Without you and Barry and Thurman and all the guys that came before you and after you, it, it wouldn't be possible. And Hartley, I'm a, I'm a huge uniform guy. You were probably the original uniform swag guy. <laughs> in history. You, you were, first off, you, you, did, remember, hey,
2: you must have did a deep dive, man, because you're pulling up some stuff on me.
0: I'm not as young as Colby. I mean, I was born in 84, so I was, I was a little young okay. when you were playing, okay. but I certainly really remember. Not. And obviously, first off, number 11 just an awesome number for a receiver. That was a little ahead of its time. Most people were still wearing numbers in the 80s back then. But you had the extra accent of the towel with your number on it. The one I'm seeing says, I'm gone on it. Is, mm-hmm. Did you switch up the what was on the towel? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I got, tell I, me how I, that got, came I'm, about.
2: Okay. So, so how this came about? I was in a, uh, I was walking, and I told I told Mike Gundy. Matter of fact, I just read this article. So Coach Gundy, I mean it was Mike back then, and, and Pat Coach Jones. I said, hey man, I, I want to wear this towel. Do you do too much, and of course I wore black shoes when everybody wore white shoes, uh, and so they said no, it fits you. So I started every week I would go to Dupree Sports and the guy in there would print a towel I started with, I think I'm gone then I had another one, that, it had see you, and another one said bye bye another one said too late so every week I would have a different saying on these towels on the back, and then all of a sudden the big A came out and they, they said I couldn't wear the towels anymore so the towels were banned, that's, uh, that's what happened to them uh, because of you? yeah, well I was the only one wearing towels that had sayings on them so if you go to... back and look, I was the only one wearing towels that had sayings on them, and they banned it. Matter of fact, a guy in the Ocala wrote an article about it, about, about the big A banning those towels, that I couldn't wear them anymore. So after that, I began to wear a towel with just a heart on it.
0: That's Very pretty nice. swag. That's pretty swagged out too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: that's absolutely perfect. Uh, all right, but, but I got—I got to tell you guys a quick question. you right, one, ahead. right? Quick. Another quick story. So we're playing, we're getting ready to play Texas A&M. I mean, it's a huge game for us. And I come out and uh, Coach Jones comes to me and says, hey, 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 what, what do you think about these? And man, we had the, the, the orange bottoms and the orange tops. We had never rocked anything like that. I mean, now, now we we got the swag like no other now. But back then in the 80, 80, it was the 88 season. Man, we bust the orange on orange against Texas A&M, and the crowd went crazy. And, man, I mean, that was the the unique thing about the uniform. That was the first time we were winning against the grain where we would wore, you know, solid on solid. And and to to this day, that's still one of my favorite uniforms. And I hadn't seen them rock that orange on orange like we did in 88.
1: Yeah, that's pretty awesome. That's pretty sweet. Uh, Hartley, we so appreciate your time, man. Stillwater loves you. It was great to see you in Stillwater this past weekend. Uh, You're always welcome on our show and just uh, an all-time great cowboy. So, uh, like you said, bleeding orange all these years. Uh, Stillwater loves you, man. We appreciate
2: it. I thank you so much, and God bless you guys. I'll see you at Bedlam. Absolutely. Sounds good, Hartley. Take care.
1: We'll see you later.
2: All right. Dikes.
1: Dikes, man absolute legend well what a what a guy just an awesome guy he uh he was having some technical difficulties but we got him connected and man i'm glad we did great storyteller too, Hartley yeah. i could have you know, i could have
0: listened to about 10 more stories
1: <laughs> yeah next time we just we see to turn the mic on and just let him go Yeah, it's, you know, you read about all this stuff with with Hartley, and uh, he was so great in his time at Oklahoma State. There are obviously some off-the-field stuff going on, but, I mean, he's one of the all-time legends, one of the all-time greats at Oklahoma State. And I really think, I mean, he goes with the New England Patriots, his rookie season, he leads the team in receiving. I don't know if a lot of people know exactly what he went through injury-wise. Fractured his right kneecap two years in a row. And then the very next year, Tor has left ACL. I mean, knee injuries probably robbed this guy of being maybe one of the all-time greats at that level too. So uh, it's a shame that injuries took that away from him. But uh, great guy, great player. And I absolutely believe that one day his name will be in the ring of honor up uh, beside those others at Boone Pickens Stadium. And he deserves it. Yeah, I want to
0: ask you about who you think will go in. And I I totally forgot. I didn't. I don't remember the, the kneecap back-to-back injuries. I remember the ACL yeah. being kind of the reason that's kind of what's listed at the end of his career, but I had forgotten or didn't remember the, the, the kneecaps. So yeah, that's just, he was so ahead of his time. I thought he made a great comparison with the, with the Calvin Johnson, the Terrell Owens. He was such a physical freak at wide receiver that we hadn't seen before. And, and all the old timers will tell you that in just like, just like Hartley himself said it, if he was playing offenses today. He would be Calvin Johnson. He would be Justin Blackman. He would be dominating to an incredible level cuz he also brought up great points about the how much they ran the football and he, he had 1400 yards receiving in 1988 when they only threw it 18 20 times a game like he said <laughs> and so that that tells you just what a player he was and, and for me Colby it, what stood out to me is just how much he loves Oklahoma state him and his wife i mean that that's what it's all about and that's why it's so important to recognize these old players you you could just hear how much it 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 warmed Hartley's heart no pun intended, just to talk to OSU fans and shake their hand and and do the walk with Mike Gundy. How cool was that story? And uh,
1: just I loved
0: hearing all that about how much he still loves Oklahoma State.
1: Well, and whenever I asked him about potentially going up in the ring of honor, I mean, I, I think you could almost hear a little bit of emotion in his voice as to really what that would mean to him. So I hope that he gets that honor because he certainly deserves it. And Friday night at Gallagher, he was talking to everybody who wanted to talk to him, nice as you could be. They put him on the Jumbotron, he, he stands up, gives the pistols, go pokes, all that. Uh, I'll say this, Carson, three times in my life, I've shaken someone's hand and I've been overwhelmed by the, just the sheer size of this person's hand three times in my life. Des Bryant is one Desmond Mason is the other. And then Hartley Dykes is the third. He's listed at six four two fifteen 15 when he played. And I mean, it's no wonder him and Des just catch everything that come their way. I mean, their hands are, they're massive, absolutely massive. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't think that he's being hyperbolic at all saying that he would be unguardable in today's era. He was borderline unguardable in the eighties when they let defensive backs just hit receivers anywhere and any time that they wanted to so uh appreciate him for coming on he was great
0: yeah that's fantastic that's three cowboys cowboy royalty there you've shaken hands with that's pretty great i mean <laughs> i think des had to have like i think they had to make like a special glove size for des his hands were so freakishly large so that oh
1: i should no- well I, I was like 13 years old whenever i shook hands with des it was just some fan thing and to this day, I remember it. To this day, I remember it. I worked with Desmond Mason for a couple of years. Uh, so that was a little bit different than meeting Hartley on Friday. But yeah, from 13 years old, when I met Des Bryant, I still remember shaking his hand and thinking, dear God, I'm a very small human being.
0: Well, I think Des will be up in the ring of honor too. Um, I want to get your, we kind of broached the subject last pod, but I want to get your top five. I've, I've gone through a little bit of a deep dive myself on, I really wanted to, to give historical perspective. Uh, on my list but i wanted to kind of get your top five on on who you think should go next in the ring of honor
1: yeah so what i'm doing I, i'm kind of going a little bit further back the most recent name on my list is Rashawn woods if that gives you any any indication of where i'm going with this so here's my five names in no particular order that i think should be the next five into the ring of honor for you Oklahoma. gotta go in order gotta go in order yeah oh that, that makes who's so next tougher. That makes it I'll, so much. Tougher.
0: I'll go. I'll go first, and I'll let you okay, go ahead. kind of marinate.
1: Let's let's go one one. Let's go one uh, okay, one. Okay, yeah,
0: I like it. I'll, I'll go first. Uh, number one has to be Leslie O'Neill. Okay, I mean, he he's he first on my sheet of paper. Okay, he uh, that's the right that's the right number one because you you almost have to go defensive player, and he's the most decorated defensive player in school history. He set a school record that still stands with 16 sacks in 1984. He's still the career sack leader with 34, two time first team All American, three time All Big Eight, Big Eight Defensive Player of the Year, first round draft pick, six time Pro Bowler. He's in the College Football Hall of Fame. He's the only other OSU player in the College Football Hall of Fame not named Barry and Thurman. So I think he's got to be the next one.
1: Yep. Leslie O'Neill was first on my list. Uh, where do I want to go next? You make me do him in order. I'll throw out. Um, mm, mm, mm. Let's go want me to go? No, got, I'll go ahead. Ready. I'm 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 probably biased because we just talked to him, but he was on my list, he deserves to be up there. Uh and, and he, he played before Rashawn Woods, so I'll say the first receiver to go in the ring should be Hartley Dykes. I like it.
0: He is number 5 for me. Okay? And and it was a tough a, my top 5 is tough to crack based on I mean, his We're we're splitting hairs here. We're really But splitting I mean, it. just for some more reference, um, he's the leading receiver in Big 8 conference history. In his career, he caught 224 passes for 3,500 yards. His 1,400 yards receiving in 88 set a Big 8 record, as did his 31 touchdown receptions over his career. Uh, as, as I mentioned, this is just unbelievable. The 1988 offense averaged 48.7 points and 530 yards per game. That 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 is so – like the number two team that year, I think, had to be a couple hundred yards behind them per game. That's how – that's how ahead of the times they were. It's just how electric they were. So I, I've got him at number five. Uh, my number two, I got to go Bob Fenimore. And I, I didn't just do it just because it's a name we all recognize. Once I dove into the, the numbers, Colby, this is just absolutely insane. And I know it's 1945. It's a different era. It's a different level of football. But here's what Bob Fenimore did on the offensive side of the football, the defensive side, and special teams. He was an All-American in 1944 and 45. He led the nation in total offense in 45. He was seventh in punting. His 18 career interceptions is still a school record. He was the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. His uh, 4,627 career yards of total offense were not eclipsed until Mike
1: Gundy came along 40 years later. I mean, is that a resume? Yeah, I mean, it really, it's incredible. It's unbelievable. Um, and I'm, I'm even looking here. I, I was Googling some things and looking. There are going to be names in Oklahoma State history that we don't get into our top five list who absolutely deserve to be in there. Uh, but Bob Fenimore is a great one. J- just so we don't have the exact same five, I'll go a different route here. For my number three, I'm gonna throw out Ernest Anderson. Ernest Anderson, one of the all-time greats for Oklahoma State. Um, and, and I think that he deserves to be in as well. Don't want to go too heavily offense. That's kind of I think the default where our minds go. But I'll go Ernest Anderson for my third. So Leslie O'Neill, Hartley Dykes, Ernest Anderson. Ernest didn't make mine, but uh, uh, my Fentimore didn't make mine. I was probably gonna have Fentimore. Uh You went Fenimore, so I wanted to mix it up a little bit. So you can have Fenimore. I'll have Ernest.
0: Okay, I went a different running back hit from Ernest era. Number three for me I, is I got that guy too. Okay, number three for me is uh, Mark Moore, uh, safety. Member of the OSU Hall of Fame, 311 tackles, uh, including 91 and 85 and 86. Intercepted seven passes during his All-American season, which was the fifth best total in the nation. Two-time All-American, 85 and 86. OSU allowed 135 yards per game passing in 85 and 121 yards per game in 86. The lowest averages since 1978. Moore was a fourth-round pick. I mean, two... I basically went to like who was a two-time or three-time All-American, and Mark Moore was was on there, and, and Ernest was not. So I, I gave Mark Moore the edge.
1: Yeah, I like that one. My next one, I'm gonna go uh, Walt Garrison. I don't know if that's who you were referencing from, kind of that same era. Uh, he actually came to Oklahoma State to play linebacker. Uh, no, 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 no. Phil Cutchin became the new head coach. Uh, as Walt Garrison was a sophomore, moved him to running back. His Second year as running back junior, 1964, led the big eight in rushing yards uh, ahead of guys like Jim Grisham and Gail Sayers. He also had five rushing touchdowns. The next season, he had a couple hundred more rushing yards than he had his junior year, more receiving yards, five touchdowns. Uh, Let's see, which, which Hall of Fames is he in? He's in the Oklahoma Sports Hall of Fame and the Oklahoma State Athletics Hall of Honor. So I'll go Walt Garrison at number four.
0: It carries a lot of cachet, but I'm, I'm going strictly football, man. Ring of Honor, you got to be the elite of the elite of the elite. And I, I went with Terry Miller.
2: Only no. three
0: running backs in Big 8 history, only three, rushed for 4,000 yards during their careers. They're named Mike Rogier, College Football Hall of Famer from Nebraska, and Thurman Thomas, who you may have heard of, also a College Football Hall of Famer. The third is Terry Miller and he was a two-time All-American. I mean, I I think that resume is really hard to beat, and that's the reason he's in the top five for me.
1: Yeah, I think that's good. I think uh, I'm glad that there's a little bit of diversity in our list, but I think you might be trumping me a little bit uh, with your Oklahoma State greats on your list. But my next one, I'm going to go with a guy who I actually saw play. It's the only guy on my list that I saw play. Uh, Rashawn Woods was special, special, special at Oklahoma State. Uh, The things that he did in the era that he did it, um it it was big time the 16-13 catch the Rashawn still open it's just one of the all-time greats uh, at Oklahoma State and just you just can't meet a nicer guy either I I I haven't spent a lot of time with Rashawn I worked with Donovan for a few years so met and talked to Rashawn a few times just an unbelievable guy so uh, I'll throw Rashawn in at five
0: yep I've gotten to know Rashawn over the years too it's a good list by you uh he was actually number one on my honorable mentions you want to hear my honorable mentions real quick uh, absolutely. Yeah. Cause yeah. five is Hartley. So yeah, let's get to yeah. I got Rashawn. I think he's, he's next and I had him basically sixth. And these are just two guys that I think are kind of off the radar that I think warrant consideration. How about Quinn Sharp? Not a name you would expect being a kicker and punter, but how about this? One of only two players ever, ever in the history of the sport to be a first team, all American punter and a first team, all American kicker. He led the nation in touchbacks on kickoffs each of his four seasons, set an NCAA single-season record for points scored by a kicker in 2012, and led all active players in 2012 with a 45.9 career yards per punt average. I mean, I know it's not the the most position with the most uh, cachet, as as the word I used earlier, but that's an all-time, all-time resume at, at a certain position.
1: Yeah, that's, that's pretty incredible. It's I hate, hate, hate for Quinn Sharp that the one particular official who was standing underneath the right upright in Ames uh, on this day 10 years ago decided that that field goal was wide right because I, I hate that that is such a big part of what OSU fans remember him for because it shouldn't be because he was so, so good. He was so, so good at Oklahoma State and he did it all. He was the Swiss army knife of kickers uh that's a really good one and this is just
0: my personal this is a guy that i haven't heard it mentioned once so that's why we want really wanted to bring him up of course you can go des and whedon and all the names we mentioned on the last pod those those speak for themselves and i think those guys from the modern era their time will come in due time once we get to some of the older players this is a guy that i think deserves to be in there it's rw mccorders and good one his resume isn't up there with these guys because he was a three-time t- three first-team All-Big 12 member, two times as a DB, once as a punt returner, but he was never an All-American, and he doesn't have the stats that would suggest, you know, when you're trying to make a case for someone, but you just go back, and anyone that watched that 97 team, 96, 95 when he was there, he was Deion Sanders. He played receiver. He played defensive back. He returned punts. He returned kicks. He was our prime time, and he ended up winning a Super Bowl with the, with the New York Giants. He was a first-round draft pick, which says a lot, too, about the resumes. And I just wanted to give R.W. some love because I didn't mention him on the last pod, and I felt bad about it.
1: Yeah, R.W. absolutely deserves the love. Uh, Booker T's finest, right, R.W.? Yep, Booker T. Yeah, Booker T guy. A lot of a lot of great athletes uh, have come through Booker T. So, R.W., very deserving. I mean, there's so many names that we didn't get to. Uh, I mean, Derrick Williams, may he rest in peace, could probably make his way up there. Kevin Williams uh, on the defensive line could make his way up there. Whedon and Blackman, we talked about. Des Bryant, uh, some of these guys. W- where do you put I- – I mean, it's a ring of honor. You only have so much space, number one. You've got a lot of guys. Um, I mean, some of those – guys that played with Rashawn, Tatum Bell, Josh Fields. It's, uh, it's hard to know where to draw the line between this is a great, a great cowboy in Oklahoma State football history and this guy deserves to, to belong in the ring of honor because it's hard for me to sit here and say that an all-time great cowboy doesn't deserve to be in there, but I also recognize at some point you have to draw the line.
0: Yeah, I don't know what the line is. That's I don't that's, either. that's a tough question cuz yeah. you just start going through it and there's a lot of guys that deserve to be up there, even guys we haven't mentioned yet. So I I don't know, but all I know is I cannot wait for when Des goes in to see him walk out to the 50 and throw up the X and watch 60,000 people do it too. I I want that so bad. I can't wait oh, for that moment. And, and oh you know, my gosh. for him to for him to take off the the number 1 jersey and have an NCAA sucks t-shirt underneath would be great <laughs> as well. That'd be awesome, but uh Colby, we got to get to the uh, picks for the game. And, uh, of course, you mentioned an important anniversary. But first, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit. Let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at ChrisUniversitySpirit.com. We appreciate them sponsoring the pod. Maybe they can print some uh, some towels for for Brennan Presley and, and Tay Martin on on Saturday, Colby.
1: Uh, that'd be pretty sweet. So that'd be pretty sweet. <laughs> I'm gone. Can't guard me. All that good stuff. Of course, they'd probably shut it down again. No fun. Yeah, can't, no fun. can't have any fun.
0: Thanks, Big Eight. I want to blame Bob Bowlesby for that in retrospect. (laughs) He wasn't even around back then. Yeah, it was Bowlesby's fault. Uh, How are you feeling about Tech? I mean, it's the ultimate trap game, night game in Lubbock, all those things. How are you feeling about it?
1: I am feeling weirdly great, confident. Don't think it's going to be close. Think it's going to be unwatchable in the fourth quarter. I... It's an identical scenario to what Oklahoma State just faced. The only difference, you're on the road instead of being at home. But, I mean, TCU a couple of weeks ago, big emotional win against Baylor after their coach gets let go. First week with a new quarterback that you don't have film on. The the defense is surprised by that. You just – everything goes right. You win at the end in emotional fashion. What happened for Tech last week against Iowa State? Big emotional week. You've got the old coach out, new coach in, new quarterback. You don't have film on him. You know, everything's going so right. Iowa State comes back. You win on a big emotional 62-yard field goal. I think they might still be drunk in Lubbock from what took place on Saturday against Iowa State. And I think that the fact that TCU lost the week before Oklahoma State was a good thing. It, It makes it to where you can tell these guys, hey, you can't overlook them. They might not be as good as you are, but they're good enough to beat you if you don't bring it. And it's the same thing with Texas Tech. They're not as good as you are, but they're good enough to beat you if you don't bring it. I think Oklahoma State's gonna bring it. We talked about how many guys on that defense uh, are just about as old as you and I are. It, it's it's crazy how veteran this team is. I trust them. I believe in them to go handle business against an inferior opponent. I've got it 41 to
0: 13. 41-13. Another dominant win. I mean, <sighs> I'm conf- I'm oddly confident, too. I mean, i not even oddly. I'm just I'm very confident. And I picked TCU to play it close. I mean, at, at some point, Colby, I, I kind of expect OSU to be in another tight ballgame again. But you're right. I mean, it's now four straight weeks that they're getting a team coming off a big emotional game uh, and a win. I mean, I'm, I'm calling the Kansas game against OU a win for them. That's what it felt like at the time. So it really is, even though it's a bit of a trap game, it is a good spot to catch tech coming off of that. And as despite all those factors, you know, I was talking to my dad a couple of days ago and he was like, man, I just, I don't, I don't like Lubbock. I don't, I don't like that. I don't like night games of Lubbock. I'm like, dad, you realize they've won eight of nine there and they lost the most recent one when Sanders had like nine turnovers. Right. He's like, yeah, but I, I just don't, I don't like it i think this is going to be like the 2011 game when they won what 66 to 6.
1: (laughs) that's when the the incredible meme of the fan just looking exhausted in the stands went up by the way the whole lubbock at night is a tough place to play thing total myth you know when the last time texas tech won a conference game at home at night was it's 2016. it's been half a decade since they've won a conference game at home at night and somehow they have this reputation of you don't want to go to Lubbock at night hell yeah you do everybody wins in Lubbock at night except Texas Tech
0: Mike Leach ain't walking through that door and <laughs> I, I totally with you I think their win winning Iowa State I, I believe was their first home win of the year <laughs> oh. tell you anything I mean that's just that's kind of what the, the shambles they've been in and who knows what's going on with Iowa State I, that's that doesn't make any sense it's amazing that Iowa State and Texas Tech have the same record that's that's just insane Iowa State's done OSU no favors with the way they've they've collapsed against West Virginia and Texas Tech. So I'm not picking 66-6. to six, I'm picking – I think I think Mike's going to kind of bleed the clock in the second half with the running game, kind of the same formula as they used against TCU, maybe not as as much success. I think Texas Tech did a decent job uh, against OU when they played of, of stopping the run. O, OU just threw it all over them. I think they'll try to have the same formula against Oklahoma State. So I think they might end up throwing – a little more than we would expect but i i think they they kind of control the game in the second half to where it's not as high scoring i'll go you, you pick 35 14
1: uh i went 41 13
0: okay yeah i'm right there with you i'm gonna go 38 7 38, Ooh, seven, my seven. So 38 7 i think they light them up a little bit in the throwing game i think i think tay martin and brennan Pressler are gonna have really good games and uh i, I just think sanders He's really playing well, and I think the defense, combined with getting all his receivers back, has given him a lot of confidence, man. I really, I really do. He's not throwing it into just ridiculous windows anymore. He's just taking what he sees, and he's making big-time throws in every single game. And I, I think he's going to light them up early, and then they'll ride Warren and, and Richardson late. So that's kind of how I, I foresee this game. Uh, let's get to the Chris's University Spirit uniform preview, brought to you by Chris's University Spirit. What uh, uniform look are you going with here?
1: I think we might see a Texas Tech tricolor. I think we might get a little. I'm going to go. I'm deciding if I want to go orange, white, black, or black, white, orange. I will go orange helmets, white shirts, black pants. Uh, which orange helmet do I want to go with? Is the question. Sometimes they wear the the kind of super metallic Big Pete on the side in Lubbock. Yep. I'll go with the super silver metallic Big Pete on the side of the orange helmets, white shirts, black pants. That's what I was going to
0: pick, <laughs> that exact combo. <laughs> uh, but I'll go, I'll go different just to be different. That means you're going to be right because every time I do that, you're, you're dead on. But uh, I just – I want to see white, white, orange. Is that too oh. much for a, for an old to ask? You know, back when Hartley was playing, they wore white, white, orange. Uh, I'll go white helmet with the icy white Pete, white jersey, orange pants. How about that? No, I'll go white helmet with the brand and the, in the stripe with an orange stripe with the, uh, the orange pants. And again, wishful thinking I'm 0 for one on my wishful thinking
1: with white, white, orange, but I'd love to see it. I would love to see white, white, orange. If it's white, white, I would prefer white, white, orange, white, white, orange to what I predicted. Yep.
0: I, I'm with you. Um, Colby, you mentioned earlier, an important anniversary. It's, it's hard to believe, but it's been 10 years since the, uh, Kurt Budke, Miranda Serna, plane crash, uh, killing the two members of the OSU women's basketball program and the, the Brandstedters, the, the pilots that were on board. 10 years ago, man, I was, I was woken up to a phone call from my then sports director, Bob Erzig, at Channel 5. I was supposed to go to Iowa State um, that day, I believe, to uh, go cover Oklahoma State, Iowa State. And got that call and I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I was like, not again, not another plane crash. You got to be kidding. This can't be real. And instead of, um, going to the game, I went to Stillwater and covered just another horrific tragedy in in Stillwater. And, uh, we all know what happened that night in the football game, but that, that took a, a clear back seat to just the tragedy that occurred.
1: Yeah, it did. It was, that was my freshman year at Oklahoma state. First semester, I woke up to some text messages, um, you know, do you see the news? And I, I, no, I, what news? And I turned the TV on and uh, I mean, there it is. It's, it's another plane crash. It was, it, it's hard to describe the, feel, the, the family feeling in Stillwater and at Oklahoma State when you're there. It, it feels like a family and it was dark that day, man. T- to this day, I still look back at that day and it just, it was a dark, dark day. One of the darkest days um, that I can remember in my life walking to class, just, it, it, it felt like, it all felt so insignificant. It it felt so, so insignificant. Uh, And I guess, so I'm I'm looking here, I believe the the plane crash actually happened the day before the football game. The plane crash was on Thursday, the 17th. The football football game took place Friday, the 18th. But the emotions were were still there and it was all still so raw. And it it really, you know, the best team in school history loses that game the next day, which, I mean, even that felt insignificant to the loss of life, Miranda Cerna, and Kurt Budke, like you mentioned, it was, it was a dark, dark day in in Stillwater, Oklahoma. It's been amazing to see how, uh, everybody rallied after that. Um, everything that, that coach Littell did and has done, it's just amazing. And, And being part of the Oklahoma state family is something that's very special. It's something that I value. You know, we talked to Hartley earlier. It's something clearly that he values. I know you do as well. It's, it's special. And when something like that happens, it's, it's heartbreaking and it's hard and it's hard to believe it's been 10 years, man. So to those families, um, I I know every day I'm sure is hard, but, um, it's all love from the Oklahoma state family. It's all love. Yep. Um, the first person I
0: ever interviewed at my first TV job at channel four in Oklahoma city was Kurt Bucky. Wow. And I was using this old piece of crap beta camera that didn't work about half the time. And of course it malfunctioned. And I, I ran over to like the journalism building to see if the the engineers could help me out. So I was, I was late getting to the interview and Kurt could not have been nicer and me being a young reporter, (laughs) I asked a dumbass question because at the time the women's basketball team had so much momentum, even more so than, than Sean Sutton's team at the time had, to where I think they were doing like a double header. And I tried to ask something along the lines of like, what's it like to be kind of the, the main event I can't remember how I phrased it, but I was kind of going for that angle. And he, he kind of stopped me dead in my tracks and was like, he he kind of blew off the question was like, that's ridiculous. He kind of, he scoffed at it, blew it off and and answered it professionally. And, uh, and I, after the interview was over, I was just, you know, I'm just sweating at this point. I'm just like, I just screwed up my first ever interview and it's Kurt Budke and I look like an idiot. And he, he could not have been cooler or nicer about it, even though he appeared upset. And when I asked him about it, he was so great to deal with countless stories have been posted throughout Twitter today in the anniversary of just how nice of a guy Kurt Budke was. And that's, that's what stands out about him. And he really, when he got to OSU man, OSU women's basketball was a dead program. They went, Owen, oh, that was, that was their big mantra. They went from Owen 16 in the big 12 to the sweet 16 under him. And that's a hell of a legacy. And he was taken from us uh, far too soon.
1: Yeah, he was, it was a, a tragic, tragic event. Um, uh, another one for Oklahoma state. Like you said, it, it was another one and it was hard. Um, but Oklahoma state family, we, we get through all of it. And like I said, just, just to those families, I, I can't imagine how, how difficult it's all been. And, to see it all play out in public, um, you know, turn TVs on, you see it. I just, I can't even imagine what they went through and still go through, uh, every single day without their loved ones. But, um, yeah, just much, much love to those families from, from you and me and from the entire Oklahoma state family.
0: Yep. And one quick shout out to, I want to give a shout out to Travis Ford. Uh, he's, he still wears the orange ribbon. He still wears the number four pin in honor of Kurt Bucky. I know they were close at OSU and it's been amazing to see Travis as as poorly as things ended in Stillwater. He still does that. Uh, you know, he rocked the orange blazer uh, for Kurt as well. And uh, I think that's really cool and I think it tells you a lot about Travis Ford, who i I had my differences with him, uh, both dealing with him in the media and, and obviously covering OSU hoops. but that's a that takes a big person to get over bitterness on on a previous stop in, in their careers because I've had some of those in my in my career. That I'm still bitter about but uh, I think that says a lot about Travis so I wanted to get that out there too so Colby enjoy the game uh, on Saturday who knows maybe we'll be uh, breaking down perhaps the biggest bedlam we've seen in quite some time
1: I sure hope so big shout out to Hartley thanks for joining us as always go pokes